This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Podcast on the Brink, your weekly dose of Indiana basketball news and discussion, brought to you by the Assembly Call and Inside the Hall. I'm your host, Jared Morris. Join me live at assemblycall.com every Thursday night and immediately following every IU game for our live IU postgame show. And visit insidethehall.com for complete coverage of IU basketball and to join the discussion in the Inside the Hall premium forum. On this week's edition of Podcast on the Brink, our old friend Mike DeCourcy is back. Mike, of course, from the Sporting News and Big Ten Network. And there's been a lot of news about the Big Ten recently. The conference has a new commissioner. Michigan obviously has a new coach, a familiar name, uh, who is going to be their coach. We talked with him about that. And then, of course, all of the NBA draft stay or go decisions are in. And so we kind of take a big picture look at the Big Ten Conference as we head into next season and how all the different teams stack up. All of that and more coming on this week's edition of Podcast on the Brink. Before we get to that conversation with Mike, let's talk real quick about tickets. Do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? It's like they're so big they can get away with not caring about the customer experience. So what if their site's annoying and doesn't have the events you want? Hello, status quo. The real question is how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually cared? Well, SeatGeek cares. Why is SeatGeek better than the rest of those other sites? A quick look at the App Store shows over 50,000 five-star reviews. How's that for customer satisfaction? And the reason why they've gotten so many of those good reviews is because SeatGeek presents a better process. SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web, and then it rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10. And finally, SeatGeek displays them all on an interactive seat map so you can see exactly where you would be sitting if you got those tickets. They break down the details. Green dots mean good deals. Red dots are overpriced. You can see it all at a glance, and every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the fastest and easiest way that I have ever found to find tickets. That's why my wife and I use it whenever we want tickets to concerts, baseball games, basketball games, whatever it is, and we're looking for tickets, we use SeatGeek, and that's why I feel comfortable recommending them to you. And SeatGeek will give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. Download the SeatGeek app today and use the promo code BRINK for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code BRINK for $10 off your first purchase. All right. And here now is our conversation with Mike DeCourcy. All righty. And we are joined on this week's edition of Podcast on the Brink by Mike DeCourcy. Mike, welcome back. We always love having you on the show. I'm happy to be back, Jared. Absolutely. And Alex, it's a, it's a delight to, uh, to be back with you as well. So 
lot of recent news when it comes to the Big Ten, the new commissioner, new coach at Michigan, all the comings and goings. You want to cover all of that in this episode. Let's start right at the top with the new commissioner. And before we talk about the new commissioner, I thought it might be useful to spend a minute or two talking about the outgoing commissioner, Jim Delaney, who has been... There's a lot of different opinions out there about Jim Delaney, and obviously he's done a lot of good things, and the Big Ten is in a really good spot, but he's also been a guy who's taken some criticism. What is the legacy that Jim Delaney leaves behind now as he exits as Big Ten commissioner? Well, you know, no one's no one in their position is perfect. I mean, he's been in the Big Ten commissioner's role for 30 years and, a, and in a position of leadership in college athletics for about that long, if not maybe a, a little bit shorter because he had to get himself established at the Big Ten. But he's been a leading voice. And so not everything that one says, everyone is going to agree with. So I, I think that, I mean, there were times when, when Jim championed, for instance, the five and eight rule in the early 2000s, which I did not think was the right way to go for college basketball. But it's one thing in 30 years. We're talking about somebody who's been a leading voice uh, for for the growth of college athletics to the, to the point where it is now and, and how successful it is. Uh, if, if you are inside the Big Ten and you're not happy with Jim Delaney, I'm not sure what it is you're looking for. Is he did left, you know, people complain about a couple of additions there. But look at how some of the other leagues completely distorted the character of their competitions to get to where they are now. ACC, I'm thinking of particularly. The ACC is nothing like what it was when it began expanding. On the other hand, the Big Ten is exactly what it was when it began expanding, but it's just bigger. And that, it, does that mean you don't see particular teams maybe as often? Of course, I, that, there's no question about that. But other than that, the, the, the nature of the competition, the way the league is operated, the feel of the league, is identical to what it was when they began expanding. Uh, and, and that, of course, that, that, that goes all the way back to Penn State, but then the real expansion uh, with Nebraska and then with Maryland and then with Rutgers. And it, all of that made the, put the Big Ten in position to be the successful league that it is now. Obviously, and you know, full disclaimer here, I work for the Big Ten Network. Uh, the, the creation of BTN has been an absolute bonanza for every team in the league in, in terms of recruiting, in terms of, uh, of, of exposure, uh, and it, obviously in terms of distributing uh, events that wouldn't have gotten seen in the past. Uh, people would, would have had trouble seeing it, or maybe they would have had to like get a, uh, a stream online that was bulky and, and barely able to see. Now you can see it on your you know, 70 inch screen with uh, the women's soccer championship or uh, the women's volleyball championship or the baseball championship or the hockey championship, all of those things, uh, you, you're always going to, you were always going to be able to find big 10 basketball somewhere or big 10 football somewhere. Now you see all those other events. Plus you get the full breadth of the league's competition in the two uh, most high profile sports. So that, that as well, and then for me, I wrote about this in March, uh, his, his devotion to making basketball, college basketball, the on-the-floor product better uh, over the last decade or so when, when we all saw uh, the, the whole thing with holding and bumping cutters and, 
and and all that become the norm in college defense, and the games start to uh, start to get slower and less high scoring as we went along to the point where in I believe it was the 2012-2013 season, it became the lowest scoring season in college basketball since 1952. What other sports going back six decades? What college basketball was, and Jim Delaney was the leading voice in stepping in, uh, creating some commissions, uh, some committees that helped change it back to where we have it now, to where basketball is basketball again. It's not a perfect game. Uh, but it's a much better game than it was a decade ago. So let's talk about the new guy who will be replacing him, Kevin Warren. You wrote a great piece about Kevin Warren uh, for TSN. Uh, you have it linked on your Twitter account if you go to at TSN Mike. He is the first African-American to hold a commissionership of, of a Power Five conference, which obviously makes his hiring very notable. Comes from a football background, you know, has been, the, I believe, the operations, chief operations officer for the Minnesota Vikings for a while. Tell us about him and what you expect him to be like as commissioner and what changes maybe you think he'll, he might usher in. Well, I, I, he's a, had unbelievable life. When he was young, I think 12 or 11 or 12 years old, uh, he was riding on his bicycle in his neighborhood and he got hit by a car and he was badly injured. And I didn't get to get into all this in my story because just the story would have been uh, 2,500 words long. But he was hit by a car. He was laid up for a long time uh, when when he and he had been a young athlete uh, and obviously loved the game. His, his older brothers were all athletes. So one of them uh, played in, uh, at least one of them played college football at Stanford. And so he pictured himself having an athletic career and doctors told him that he might not be able to do that. And, and there was some doubt even for a while, whether he would walk again. And so when he was leaving uh, the hospital, he asked his doctor, if, if, if I want to be an athlete again, what do I do? And he said, the best thing you can do is swim. Because at that point, his, the, his joints and his bones and all that weren't going to support you know, running and that sort of thing. Uh, so they, so he said, swim, and the, he didn't have a pool. And so he asked his parents whether they could put a pool in. And the parents said, well, we really can't afford it. And he said, well, didn't we get 30 grand in a settlement from insurance or, or whatever uh, from the accident? And they said, yeah. And he said, well, can we spend some of that? And they said, okay. So he put, they, they put, they, he said he spent $11,000. The family spent $11,000, put a pool in the backyard. He spent so much time in it, he got himself fit, got himself back in shape. Uh, and then eventually, he became a 1,000-point scorer at Grand Canyon University. Uh, he, uh, that when he was playing NAI ball, he had transferred from Penn, where, by the way, he was a teammate of Fran McCaffrey, uh, the Iowa coach, uh, for a couple of years. And Uh-oh, favoritism for Iowa. There you go. There you go. He's, uh, they get, they're going to get every call now. Uh, <laughs> interestingly, both Fran and... Uh, and Mr. Warren transferred out of that situation. So I'm not sure <laughs> what was going on then, but uh, they, they did both play in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I believe it was 82 as Ivy champs. So, so that that's, tells the story of how determined he was. He went on, uh, went uh, gra- graduated from uh, from Grand Canyon. He went to law school, I believe at Arizona. Excuse me, he got an MBA at Arizona State. And then he went to law school at Notre Dame. And he joined... Mike Slive and Mike Lazier, who uh, a lot of people who follow college sports probably know Mike Slive for sure because he eventually became Big Ten commissioner. Mike Glazier may be a little bit more inside the sport, but Glazier 
uh, still works as the uh, chief of the college sports practice at Bon Schneck and King in Kansas City. Those two hired, uh, they hired Mr. Warren uh, back in 1991, I think it was, fresh out of law school. And he went on from there to be an agent. Then he joined the St. Louis Rams front office. Then eventually he helped the Wilts buy the, uh, the Minnesota Vikings, the Wilt family. He helped them with the purchase, uh, doing the legal work, and joined the team as, as a front office executive and eventually rose to COO. So unbelievable life, unbelievable resume. Uh, has a son who plays major college football at Mississippi State. His daughter played college volleyball at Occidental College in California. I don't think she had a long career. He mentioned she blew out an ACL and what I could find online did not suggest that, uh, uh, that, she, that she recovered from that, you know, to, to play. I, I couldn't find any evidence that she played after she blew out her knee. But uh, so raised two college athletes, uh, obviously a, a, an extremely successful man. And it, it, one of the important things that I saw yesterday in his press conference was first the acknowledgement that the Big Ten has an amazing staff, that they aren't where they are uh, for any other reason other than they had a great leader and a great staff. So now another great leader comes in and acknowledges he has a great staff. And two, um, he what, when he was asked specific policy questions, not so much about the Big Ten, but about general big picture uh, college athletic stuff, because there's not really that much to fix with the Big Ten, but there's all these things, external forces, uh, player comp, uh, name, image, and likeness rights, the expansion of the playoff. All of these things will impact the operation of the Big Ten going forward and may have more impact than anything internal. And so he was asked about those things. And rather than just going out and giving a sports talk radio opinion, an informed one, obviously, because he's been in the business, but he said, look, you know, I will sit down with you and talk to you about these things when I've got my feet on the ground. And I really respected that. One, because he wasn't giving a, an opinion off the cuff. And two, because he didn't say, oh, I can't really talk about that now. He said, it was Adam Rittenberg, I believe it was from ESPN, who asked the first policy question. And he said, I will sit down with you when I'm in position to do that. It was really impressive to me that he promised that he would have those talks about the big issues when he was more up to speed on them. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mike, you mentioned uh, Fran McCaffrey a little uh, in that last uh, answer, and I was actually going to use the mention of his name to shift to 
the the winners and the losers, I guess, so far this spring in the Big Ten and Iowa seems to be um, on the wrong side of things so far with the news that Tyler Cook has decided to keep his name uh, in the draft, which I think most of us expected, but also the news that Jordan Bohannon uh, may be uh, missing some significant time next season. I'm just curious from your perspective, um, big picture for the league this spring, who did you view maybe as some of the, the programs that had a successful spring and maybe some of the ones that, that things didn't go particularly well for? Well, the most successful spring was Michigan State because Cassius Winston told them almost <laughs> almost before they left the locker room, and maybe before they left the locker room, I wasn't there, uh, but uh, the, when they before they opened it, uh, that he was coming back and he wasn't even going to test the NBA draft process. So uh, first-team All-American, the best point guard in the league, uh, the, the guy who drove you to the Final Four, the, you don't even have to sweat uh, April and May at all. Uh, so th- th- there's your winner right there. And... Of course, they're also going to get back Joshua Langford, who missed most of last year. The only player they lost was Nick Ward. Uh, sometimes when you see uh, a, a coach leave a program or an executive leave a team or a business, they say it was by mutual consent. Uh, kind of both sides saying, yeah, we've had enough of each other. And I think that that was kind of what happened with Nick Ward. I think it was a mutual consent situation. Uh, there was time for uh, both to move on. They already have his replacement. His replacement replaced him when Nick was hurt uh, late in the season and the team got better. Uh, so uh, Xavier, Xavier Tillman is going to do a, a great job there. So there's your biggest winner. Your biggest loser, and I don't want to say this in the sense uh, of condemning the hire or anything like that because it's not what I mean, but you lose, if Michigan loses a Hall of Fame-level coach in John Beeline and it loses uh, multiple players who didn't necessarily have to leave Charles Matthews. I think they expected all along. He was listed as a senior last year, but he could have come back. Uh, and then even more impactful, Iggy Brasdakis, who is borderline first round at best and probably not going to get into the first round. And then Jordan Poole, which I really honestly believe was a huge factor in John Beeline uh, moving on. Uh, I, when, when Jordan Poole decided to leave and not even test, and when his father told uh, Brendan Quinn from The Athletic uh, that they were concerned about how he would be used, I mean, if, if you're not trusting John Beeline with your player, who would you trust? I mean, the guy has turned out, he, has, he had never had a McDonald's All-American, which was one of the criticisms of him that apparently aired uh, when, after he left uh, by some Michigan alums. Never had a McDonald's All-American, but how many pros? I mean, one after the other after the other, Karis LeVert, Nick Stauskas, and Mitch McGarry, uh, and, and uh, uh, just so many guys that, uh, you know, Trey Burke. Uh, it's just, it, it just a ridiculous number of players who have, you know, Hardaway, Hardaway was another one. It, it just so many guys that were never expected to be NBA players that all of a sudden flourished under him and blossomed and became great and, be- and became functional NBA players at, at, at the least. Uh, th- how you don't trust him, I don't know. So uh, he moves on. You lose three of your top scorers. A team that might have contended for the national championship now is going to have to fight for air in a very – you know, even though there were other winners and other losers, it's still a highly competitive league. It's going to be an excellent league again. Will it be as good as last year? That's a tough bar to reach, but I think they'll be in the ballpark. 
Yeah, that was actually what I was going to ask you next was just the Big Ten last season was as good as I've seen it since I've been covering it, which is goes back to, I think, Cody Zeller's first year at IU. So pretty long, long time um, going back there. But, you know, what to me, it seems like maybe at the top, it's not going to be as strong, but I, I'm kind of looking down to the, you know, the eight, nine, ten holes may, potentially, depending on how you want to project it out. Uh, even looking at a team like Rutgers, I know they lost one of their best players to a transfer here late, but they seem to be progressing every year. Uh, Penn State's another team that I think they're going to get Lamar Stevens back. We'll see how they do. But it doesn't seem like there's going to be, with the exception of maybe Northwestern and Nebraska at the at the bottom potentially, it, it seems like everyone from maybe the three or four spot down to 11 or 12 could be pretty evenly matched on a night-in, night-out basis. Yeah, I, I, I really, and you mentioned not being as strong at the top. I'm not, I'm not even willing to go there necessarily because I think Michigan State is a top two, three. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I don't think, I think, you know, Maryland has a chance. I mean, obviously they lose Bruno Fernando and that's a huge loss, but you have Jalen Smith back. You have, uh, you know, uh, they had such a great freshman class. Uh, you get Anthony Cowan back to run the point. So I, I still think there's a possibility there for them to be top 10 level as well. Uh, I, 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 so I, I look at a friend of mine uh, in the business sent me a list and, of teams that, uh, you know, that he was considering ranking from the Big Ten and who would I leave out. And it wasn't easy to cut that list down, exactly to your point, Alex, that there's so many teams that have a chance to be good. And some like Penn State's a team that you know obviously losing Bolton uh, is a factor and and hurts them, but they still have a lot of capable players there. Uh, and and Stevens has Stevens was one of the best players in the league last year. Made first team All League for, on my ballot from a losing team, which I, I can tell you right now. I mean that happens like once every 15 years. That's how good he was that I ignored the fact that the team was, un- was well under 500 in the league and said, doesn't matter, he was just phenomenal. And so that, they have a chance if everything goes right. And Illinois, with getting uh, you know, Desumu back, uh, is, is another team that could make a huge step forward. And it's a shame about Omaruyi. I'm not sure what happened there. But I, I, I saw it coming. I, you know, I told some people around the network uh, that. It, it, they seem like the kind of team that would get poached. Uh, it, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that happened with Eugene. I don't, cause I don't even know where he's going to go. And, and I don't know, but I, I just felt like uh, that was the kind of team that you know, they hadn't broken through, uh, you know, veteran players, would they trust the process and tr- and believe that they would get over the hump next year with all the really good young players that they had. Uh, and uh, the young players, would they, you know, would they trust, uh, the process and the program as well. They were they were very fortunate on the young players. They've not lost anybody. Uh, I, I I think it's a shame about Eugene leaving because I really do think that they had a chance with him to to have a a, a first you know a, a first five maybe first six season in the league. And it's going to be harder now without him. But I still think, like you said, that that they're really talented and they're they're adding a point guard. The one thing they really didn't have last year. Uh, a very capable point guard from New Jersey. And so they have a chance to to be special as well. So we've talked about a whole lot of teams. One team that we didn't mention, Indiana. 
And, you know, obviously the Hoosiers losing a couple of really key players and Romeo Langford and, and Juwan Morgan, where, you know, your June 5th Mike DeCourcy power rankings, like where do you see, where, where would you kind of slot Indiana in right now? And do you have them above or below the NCAA tournament cut line as you kind of project it way, way out in the future? Yeah, I think I think they have a, a shot to make it. I, I, I put them in that group of teams, and I don't know that I haven't sat down and ordered it one to fourteen at this point. Um, but I have them in that group of teams that could that could get there or could fall. And uh, obviously, you're losing two great players. Uh, Juwan it, it was phenomenal, and and Romeo. You know, I I, I want to give anybody who hasn't seen. Uh, the Greg Doyle story that he did, the column that he did about the Romeo sacrifice uh, recommendation, because I, I thought it was ver very well done and, and some very important, important points made about uh, him playing hurt. And, a, you know, torn, like he said in this story, he wasn't condemning Darius Garland or, or saying anything about him, but torn meniscus is not usually a full season injury and it became one for him. Uh Romeo Langford could have missed time with the injury he had and chose to continue plugging. And he did not have the season he'd hoped that Indiana had hoped or that his first several games, uh, forsaged, but, uh, still he fought every day for IU and, and I give him a lot of credit for that with what's left. Uh, I think the freshmen have to be, uh, have to be big contributors. I don't think that Trace Jackson Davis comes in with Romeo's fanfare at, or expectation, and that's a good thing, but he's going to have to produce. Uh, it, he's going to have to be able to score and rebound. Um, that, that doesn't mean necessarily he scores 18, 20, even the 16 and a half that Romeo did last year, but they're going to need, you know, double figure points out of him based on what I look when I look at that. And then, you know, a reasonable rebounding performance, whether that's six, seven, eight, whatever. Uh, but you know, one of the things that I love about Trace is that if he does those things, the other stuff for him is easy. He's a very unselfish player, has a great head for the game, terrific passer, was really impressed with all that when I saw him. But what you bring back, you, you have a, a very good young group of players who, who have experience, uh, none of them a dominant player. Uh, we obviously need to see growth uh, from Justin Smith in his game and, and his commitment level. Uh, Devontae Green, we need to see growth in his, in not so much in his ability and skill level, but in his ability to play the game, to, to play the game that's on the floor and not just the game that he sees in front of him. Uh, at Al Dorham, I think, uh, needs to be a more consistent three-point shooter than he was a year ago. I think that'll come if the offensive balance is right. Uh, some of his shooting struggles, I think, belong to the overall challenges of the team to run good offense. And then, obviously, Deron Davis, just just be healthy, man. If he's healthy, he's, he's the goods. And, and he will give them 25 minutes of really solid offense, really solid defense, really strong on the boards. But he's got to be out there for that to happen. So, Mike, we sit here, it's it's June 5th, 2019, and I, I can still remember where I was back in September of 2017 when the uh, the NCAA, FBI stuff started to come out. And it feels like, in a sense, that we still have a 
cloud in some way hanging over the sport because we don't know yet what the NCAA is going to do with everything that it learned and uh, gathered from the FBI uh, trials. What, what what do you see as maybe the, the next step in this whole process and when may we get some closure from all this or is this something that two years from now we're still going to be talking about? I know nobody wants to hear this, but the next step is patience. And I know that coaches have been complaining about it publicly uh, about this, but what they, what they have to understand, and I don't know whether they understand it and just don't want to acknowledge it or whether they don't understand it, but the, the NCAA was told in September 2017, uh, look, this is big, big people stuff here. Uh, this is law and order, courts in the justice system, all that kind of stuff. We need a clear path for us to prosecute our, our case. So you stay out of this with the NCAA stuff. You know, we're, we, you, you, can't, you, know, you can't deal with this stuff. You can't have anything that we have, and we don't want you poking around in our cases while we're prosecuting them, in so many words. And we will let you know when we're good with our, with our investigations and we're done, and you can begin your own. And we'll give you some of it. I, I don't know that they're going to get all of it, but they're going to get some of it. And, and obviously, the, with the way their rules are written, everything that's on a court document now, everything that's uh, uh, that's that's public record, they can have and they can use. That's that's a the only uh, or one of the only productive elements of the Rice Commission's suggestions was that they can now do that. And so we will see that, 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 that they will be able to use the, you know, the testimony and, and, the, and some of the uh, material that was entered into evidence and all those sorts of things. Uh, but they weren't allowed to do any of that until they were told by the FBI it's okay. And that was in November of 2018. So they've been on the job basically for six months. And it, anybody who's followed these investigations, and you know, IU fans certainly have, I mean, uh, the whole Kelvin Sampson uh, phone call thing uh, started, I believe, in uh, September of or, or late August or September of 2007. Uh, it, you know, he did not leave his position until um, uh, Febu- February. And then I don't, I don't remember the resolution of the case was well after Kelvin left and yeah. came in, and so we're talking about maybe a year and a half. So that's why everybody's got to be patient. I don't know how many open cases the NCAA has. They don't comment on it. The University of Arizona has acknowledged uh, that there has been NCAA activity there. Uh, LSU, I know for a fact, uh, we, we all do because Will Wade acknowledged it, that the NCAA met with, uh, with Will Wade and with the university uh, when he had what was for lack of a better term, his reinstatement discussion. And so we know they're out there. And so we don't know what the resolutions will be, but there isn't anybody inside the NCAA that, I, that I've spoken to that doesn't think that there will, will not be coach suspensions and that there will not be some repercussions. It just, it, we just don't know exactly who and where and when, and, and especially the when. Last question for you, Mike. Speaking of patience, 
it seems like Michigan fans will probably need to be patient <laughs> with their program. They're going, you know, as you mentioned, you, know, you lose John Beeline. You go from watching some of the prettiest basketball, especially offensive basketball that you're going to see, to now having a coach who obviously has deep ties to the university but doesn't have head coaching experience. Did you agree with the hire of Juwan Howard, and how do you think that will go long-term for Michigan? Well, you know, I, my, my, the candidate that I advocated for uh, most ardently was Ed Cooley, and I was uh, pleased that they made a, a, a good-faith run at him because I thought he would have been great in the Big Ten, high-character person, one of the really good people in the game, uh, obvious success at Providence. I believe it's five. He, he had made five consecutive NCAA tournaments. Uh, that's nev- that had never been done before. Now I realize Rick Pitino didn't stick around to do it, but he didn't do it. Uh, Dave Gavin didn't do it. Uh, so there's some terrific coaches there uh, who aren't able to get to five straight, but he did. So uh, the, he obviously had the, the kind of ability that would have served Michigan well. Uh, when they turned to, to Juwan Howard, my concern about uh, about the pro to college coach uh, is not limited to guys who don't have coaching experience or head coaching experience. Uh, it, because even head coaches like Bob Hill and Mike Dunleavy, uh, who've come down to college and tried to be successful, failed and failed pretty spectacularly. And of the list of people who have been in the NBA I, as players, assistant coaches, or coaches, and, and had limited or no college experience. And, and if they did have any college experience, it was a long time removed, um, who, who have gone on to be successful. It is basically, at this point, one person, Fred Hoiber. And he's now back in the league, and I'm sure he'll do really well at Nebraska. But one person. The, the stats are overwhelming. Way under 500 overall record. Very few NCAA tournament appearances, and, and Hoiberg owns almost all of them. Uh, very few NCAA tournament wins, and Hoiberg owns almost all of them. So that, that, that track record is really not good. Now, all that said, and of course, I, I do want to also mention that uh, Patrick Ewing at this point is in the incomplete file. I mean, we can't make any judgments after two years. So far, so good, but not a success yet and not a failure yet. Uh, but Overall, not you know, it's just not been there. And so, the one thing that it, that I'm enthusiastic about with Jawan is you know not only his character and and his experience, which is great. That's that's all wonderful. But do you do the right things in trying to make yourself a college coach? It's it, it, the first thing to understand is that basketball is only a part of it, and. That's something that when Fred went to Iowa State, the first thing he did, the first person he hired, what basically was Bobby Lutz. I mean, he he kept uh, T.J. Otzelberger, who had, who was already in place uh, at Iowa State, and T.J. did a great job recruiting for him, and is now head coach at UNLV. But he went out and got Bobby Lutz from Charlotte to basically, and so you know, without being putting too fine a point on it, to basically teach him how to be a college coach. I mean, he observed his own Johnny Orr, but. He didn't know what Johnny did when Johnny left the locker room. So Bobby came in for a year and showed Fred what all the things that go along with being a coach beyond just X's and O's. And there's so much. There's, there's uh, uh, academic stuff and fundraising stuff and the media stuff and compliance stuff. 
and recruiting and all the other things that go along with it. And so Jawan obviously learned the lesson that Fred taught by going out and hiring Phil Martelli. Phil, uh, one of the really great people in coaching, absolutely delightful human being. The Big Ten is going to be so much more fun because he's in it. But Phil has been seen you know, 25, 30 years worth of head coaching experience and knows that, you know, he knows both sides of it, ups and downs, because St. Joe's was one of those places that it was, it was hard to be a winner every year in their circumstance with, with what they were up against, but they, they would ride waves. They would get a young team, they would build it up, be successful, start over again. And their old athletic director, Don DiGiulio, was very happy with Phil and content with that cycle. A uh, new athletic director decides to make a move uh, fairly, fairly soon after coming in. And that's the Big Ten's gain, and it's really Juwan's gain because Phil will do a great job for him in helping him through that adjustment period uh, and, and help him through uh, games and that sort of thing. And I, I, so I'm, I'm enthusiastic about that. I, I think he'll, he'll by the end of the year, Juwan will know what he has to know to be a successful college head coach. And then it's just about, you know, obviously getting guys, getting them to believe in what you do. Well, I know from an IU fan perspective, after four years of Juwan Morgan mistakenly being called Juwan Howard over and over again, we're looking forward to the first time where that's done in reverse for Juwan Howard. And so it's funny you should say that, Jared, because <laughs> this is this is this is funny. Because when we were coming on, you said before we came on, you said, I want to talk to you about Juwan Howard and commissioner and uh, so i said okay what's Jawan been up to since the season ended <laughs> real quick is he, is he did he get hurt in tryout or something like that so Jawan howard comes up oh we're not talking about Jawan morgan <laughs> so yeah funny. yep that that will continue to happen now <laughs> <laughs> i think my dad famously uh, referred to the, probably the last four years when we had him on the show. I think every time he talked about Jawan Morgan, he called him Jawan Howard. So <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> now I he can so. actually refer to Jawan Howard, and he'll be an actual person in the Big Ten these days. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, thank you as always for coming. A lot of great insight as always. It's a you know never a dull moment in the in the Big Ten, and you know we've got a long time to wait until Big Ten basketball comes. But obviously, we appreciate your insight on everything that's happened in the offseason so far. Well, Thanks, it was a Mike. pleasure, guys. It won't be as long as it, as you think, because I, I was in the car yesterday and I had the XM uh, college channel on and they, and they said, Big Ten football media days are a month away. Oh, boy. But if football season's coming, Big Ten basketball media days not far behind either. So it, it won't be that long. Buckle up. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, fellas. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast on the Brink. We always appreciate you being here. Remember to join me and my co-hosts for more IU basketball talk at assemblycall.com and visit Alex over at insidethehall.com for complete coverage of Indiana basketball. If you want to support Podcast on the Brink, here is the single best way to do it. Tell anyone you know who loves IU hoops about us and suggest that they subscribe. Podcast on the Brink can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are available. Tell your social media followers, email your friends, text your family members. For weekly discussion about IU basketball, they need to be subscribed to Podcast on the Brink. We'll talk to you next time. Go Hoosiers. Lucky. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.